Uh, we're picking up the, the, the book of Acts in chapter, chapter 13. There's a lot of things that happened before. A quick, a quick summary of, of, of Acts. If you want to just take your Bibles and turn all the way to chapter 1, we're going to fly through this in about 30 seconds. Uh, Acts chapter 1, uh, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended into heaven and he told the, the disciples to wait. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the disciples were waiting, praying for the, uh, for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came down like a, like, a rushing, mighty, like a mighty rushing wind. Peter stands up and preaches his sermon at Pentecost. And 3,000 repent and believe in Christ. Acts 3 and 4, uh, Peter and John heal a lame beggar. And, and because of that one healing, a lot of conversations happen before the Sanhedrin, before the people. And more and more people come to Christ. We turn to Acts chapter 4. We see the, the, the testing of the early church in uh, Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. And they both perished because of that lie. God kept purity in the church and made the word of God increase and people were saved. The end of chapter 5, you see the apostles were arrested and then freed and continued to preach the gospel. Uh, chapter 6, we, we, we introduce to, to Stephen. Uh, Stephen is one who preached the gospel. He was arrested. And all of chapter 7 is this, this powerful speech where Stephen summarizes the whole story of Israel by looking at the person of Moses. Uh, Acts chapter 8, the, the Saul, uh, the, uh, the, the Pharisee, ravages the church and causes them to, to scatter. But while they were scattered, they went about preaching the gospel. And God had other plans for this Pharisee named Saul. He, he rescued him by, by meeting him on the road to Damascus, calling to him to repentance and faith. And Saul repented and believed, rose and was baptized into the name of Christ. You kind of see an excursion there in chapter 10 when the, the gospel is starting to go forth to the Gentiles through Peter. Uh, and then we hit chapter uh, 11 and 12, which is what are we going to do with this gospel being spread Peter reports to the church, and the missionary journeys of Paul begin. So the beginning of chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas being sent out on mission for the church. And now we pick it up right here in chapter 13, and we see what Paul typically did during his missionary travels. The first thing that Paul would do, he would go to a city, he would find a, a synagogue, and he would go there. Now why would Paul immediately go to the synagogue? He didn't seem, aren't the Jews against the, the, the message of the gospel of Christ. Well, the, Paul, as you'll see here as he works this out, the, the Jews are not necessarily uh, against the gospel of Christ. What Paul sees is that what, what Jesus is is a continuation from the Old Testament. And he, we see how he works that. So pick up this, your, your text with me in Acts 13. Uh, we, we first will see what Paul does is a common appeal to history. A common appeal of their shared History. So Acts 13, beginning in verse 13, God's word says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So they went to the synagogue ready to be taught. Verse 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, even the beginning of the people of God, they would always hear the law and they would hear the prophets being read, as we often do here. The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, 
If you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, said. Now Paul was a Pharisee, and because he was a Pharisee, he had the right to address uh, the, the people in, in the synagogue. That was something that most people would, uh, most rulers of the synagogue would ask if there's any visiting uh, Pharisee. Uh, would you have a word of encouragement for the people? Uh, and Paul took that as an opportunity, so he rose up and he started to share. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice how Paul tries to connect with his audience. Now, you'll see throughout the book of Acts, Paul is addressing different people. Sometimes he's addressing skeptics. Sometimes he's addressing those who are hostile to the gospel. Here, he's addressing Jews. And just look at how he addresses them at the beginning of verse uh, 16. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Two groups there, those, those who are Israelites and there are those who fear God. Meaning those are Gentiles who want to follow the way of Judaism, who believe in the, in the one God. Verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it. So right here at the beginning, what you see Paul doing is he, he shows the sovereign hand of God. How God is in control of the formation of the people of Israel. Uh, remember that Abraham was, was a pagan. In, in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham, and then he called Isaac, and then he called uh, Jacob, and he made Jacob Israel. So it says right here, it's in verse 17, God of his people, Israel, chose our fathers. I think what, what you're going to see here is Paul wants the people to see how God has always been working in the lives of his people to bring about salvation. That's what he's been doing ever since Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. So right off the bat, he wants to see how this, this is, those are continuing works. So we see how God worked mighty works in Egypt. He made them a great people, a people of, of great number. With an uplifted arm, he led them out with all the, the plagues. And then you just kind of see this illusion in verse 18. It says, for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Now, some translation says he carried them in the wilderness. Uh, depending on how you, how, you, how you translate it, it has a different kind of connotation, doesn't it? Right? One is, I had to put up with you. Versus, I carried you along. One is, there's a very different sense there. We don't exactly know which one is precise. I think this translation is good. He had to put up with them uh, because you see in another place in this very, very sermon, he kind of alludes to the disobedience of the people. He doesn't blatantly say it. He's not going on the offensive and attacking his hearers, which he does at some points. He doesn't do it here. He just kind of alludes to the fact that our people have a history of disobedience. Now, if we look back in our own life, can we say that about ourselves? You know, we have, we have a history sometimes of being disobedient to the Lord. We have seasons in our life when we have not been as faithful as the Lord would want us to be. So we see these, the disobedience in the wilderness. And then he keeps on going in verse 18. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying the seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. So he takes them all the way to the land of Canaan. When God promised from the beginning that I will show Abraham, give you a land, he takes them into the promised land and defeats them with all, the, all, these, all these nations. So you see God's mighty works in Egypt, his, his dealing with the people and their disobedience, and then these mighty works in Canaan. God is sovereignly working through his people to bring about something. 
And we see this as he goes on. After the Canaan, he, he brings about David, the king. Keep on going here in the text in verse, the second half of verse 20. It says, and all this took place about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges, until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, if you remember back in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8 through 10, when, when, God, when the people of Israel asked for a king, that was not a good thing. Because God was their king, and they rejected God as their king. So God gave them Saul. He gave them one that looked like who should be the leader on the outside. He stood a foot taller than everybody else. He, he was one that had strong uh, outward appeal. And yet God says, I reject him, and I'm going to bring up David, a one who does not look um, powerful on the outside, but one who is a man after my own heart. So right off the bat, what, what Paul's trying to do in his message, he's trying to connect with his audience. I think this is a great tool when thinking about how we do evangelism. When you're doing evangelism, it's important to, to connect with the person that you're talking to, to listen and to actually know the person that you're speaking with. Uh, during my schooling, we often have to learn how to do definitions, right? They say, well, how do you define the mission of the church? Or how do you define the church? Or how do you define evangelism? And the way I've always defined evangelism is very simple. It's taking the whole gospel to the whole person. Taking the whole gospel to the whole person. So when I try to do evangelism, the first thing I try to do is I try to figure out who am I talking to? Who am I speaking with? And I'm trying to take the, that person and, and try to take the gospel to that person. That's exactly what Paul's doing here. These people are Jews. They're going to resonate with their own history, the history of, of, of Moses, or the history of Israel, the history of, of David. But all this, this, this common history is leading somewhere. It's leading to the promise of a Savior who is going to come and redeem his people. So the second point you see here is the common promise of the Savior, a common promise of the Savior. Look at verse 23. It says, Of this man's offspring, speaking of David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now hear these words. As he promised. So in 2 Samuel 7.14, God says, I am going to give you a son, David. And your son is going to be a forever king on a forever throne. So ever since David, the people of God have been looking and have been longing for the Savior. Will he come? When will he come? How will he come? Searching and, and looking. And, and, and Paul stands up to the synagogue and said, The Savior is here as he promised. But I think so often like the Jews... Of, of, of Paul's day, like we are today, when God actually keeps his word, people are surprised. I think that we don't really expect God to do things in our lives. We don't really expect God to, to answer our prayers or expect God to bring about salvation. So that when he actually does, we're kind of taken aback. I think that the, the people here did not expect God to bring salvation through the Messiah. And yet, that's exactly what 
he did. He says, we have seen God's hand in choosing Israel. We have seen God's hand in choosing David. So now we should see God's hand in choosing Christ. You saw this. You saw that. You should see this right in front of you. God's hand chose Jesus as he promised. I love that. Look at how he goes on here in verse 24. He brings up John the Baptist. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Verse 25. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So when you come to Jesus in the Bible, Jesus is the dividing line. Either you're, you're either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. It's interesting, most Jews, when they encounter John the Baptist, most people responded to him. They, they liked what he had to say. He came with the baptisms of repentance and forgiveness of sins out in the wilderness. So even, even Herod, they didn't really know what to do with John. Where did John come from? Well, if we say he came from God, well, then, you know, then we're going to say that, that Jesus came from God. But if we don't say anything, if we say he didn't come from God, then the people are going to be against us because everyone kind of liked John. They kind of respected his, his ministry. So this is what Jesus is, or Paul is trying to draw out. Listen, you should believe in Jesus because look what John said. John, who was well respected and is a leader among the people, a prophet, he spoke of Jesus. So God chose Israel, God chose David, God promised the Messiah. You all believed in John, was from God, and John said this was the Christ. He's working this up. Now, remember, when we're reading sermons in, in Acts, now, if I, if I preached um, a full entire message, 30 minutes, it's going to be about 12 pages of, of, of printed manuscripts. We don't have that here. So this is kind of like a, a, a highlighted uh, text, highlighted sermon, bullet points, messages that, that Luke wrote down from this message from, from Paul. But you see what, what Paul is doing here. He's kind of building for a crescendo, and the thesis of this whole entire sermon is right there in verse 26, which is this first subpoint, a promise of salvation. So when the, the coming promise of the Savior is to bring salvation, look at verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. You see what he's doing there? He's connecting with them again. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, the one who, who is the father of faith, connecting this, this unity. What do we see? And those among you who fear God, these Gentiles, to us has been sent the message of salvation. To us. Just think about them sitting in that room and hearing, to us, salvation has been promised. And then he defines how that salvation is, is brought about. Salvation only comes to us and to the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not preach, if you do not share the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, faith and repentance in him, you do not have the gospel. You do not have salvation. Salvation is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be bold to share the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ with our neighbors, with our co-workers, and with our families. 
They will like a lot of things that Christians say and do, but they will not always like the message of the cross. But that's exactly what Paul preached. And I believe that's exactly what we're called to preach. Verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which, we, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. They found in Jesus no guilt. At the end of Luke's gospel, you see that refrain, Jesus is innocent, innocent, innocent. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He committed no sins. He was perfect, always lived to do the will of the Father. And this perfect one was what? Was condemned to die, to pay for the sins of his people. Think about that for a second, that your sins, your lies, your lust, your greed, your slander, your jealousy, your hatred. Jesus, the perfect one, came to take upon the cross. He was condemned, planned before the ages began. He was condemned. Verse 29. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and led him, laid him in a tomb. All the things that, that were promised to the prophets, that his clothes would be cast for lots, that he would be pierced in the side, that his bones would not be, be broken. After Jesus fulfilled all that the Father had said was going to happen, he was laid in a, in a tomb. And then we see this great promise, this second sub-point, this promise of resurrection, this promise that not only that Christ was resurrected, so shall we be. It's amazing how often, when you read through the book of Acts and just the, the Bible in general, how much the resurrection is, is part of the dialogue and how much we don't often talk about the resurrection. Now, here's why, I think. We love to talk about Jesus Christ paying for our sins upon the cross, but we don't often want to talk about the, the resurrected life that we're now called to live. We all love to feel forgiven, we all love to feel that we are, we are cleansed from our sins, but we're also called to be empowered to live a different life. And that's a whole lot harder. Because if you start preaching the law to people, of the, of the law of Christ, of what we're called to live and how we're called to, to reflect Christ to the world, you're preaching rules, Pastor. Well, the Bible has things in it. And this is what you see here, is that because Christ died and rose again, he's going to give new life. And that new life is, is prompt, was, was shown in Christ and is given to you. Look at what the text says, verse 30. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who came, from, came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. That is just like we are. We are now witnesses. You know the Greek word there is marturion, which means martyr, right? We are now called to die daily to show Christ. Resurrection is true. Verse 32. And we bring you the good news that, of what, that God, had, God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. 
as also it is written in the second psalm. Then he kind of walks through several psalms that even, even then proclaim the resurrection. So remember his audience. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to, to Jews who like the Bible, who respond to the Bible. So he's using the Bible to bring that up. He's using the Old Testament to show this, was, this is not something new, but this, there's a continuation of God's promise from the Old to the New Covenant. What do you see? Verse, verse 33, written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, quoting Isaiah 55. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. And verse 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, the one we heard this morning, Psalm 16. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Jesus Christ did not see corruption. He was raised from the dead. The promise that God said in Psalm 2, Isaiah 55, Psalm 16, is true. God chose Israel. God chose David. God chose this to be the Christ. Do you see it? That's what he's drawing out, passionately pleading with these people. The promise is that the Messiah was resurrected. But not only that. You love those commercials. But wait, there's more. The, 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 the promise of forgiveness. This is the, the culmination of why this is so beautiful. Verse 38. It's like he stops he makes his case that Christ is the Messiah, and he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You can be forgiven because God sent his son to die and be raised for you. All your sins can be forgiven. Forgiveness is proclaimed to you. But not only forgiveness. Freedom. He goes on. He says, and by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be free by the law of Moses. You are now justified in God's sight, holy and without blemish. And you will no longer have to live with the, the weight on your shoulders of not being able to fulfill the law. Because we know you can't fulfill the law. But guess what? Someone has fulfilled the law for you. And therefore your sins can be forgiven. And you have freedom to walk in Christ. Just, just, it's hard for us to even imagine how powerful those words would have been to a Jew. Now remember, Paul is speaking to diaspora Jews, Jews who were scattered throughout the, the, the world. As a diaspora Jew, as one who has been scattered, Paul kept his Jewishness in his, in his faith, in Christ. We can be forgiven. Who needs that message today? Who here needs to know that you can be forgiven and freed to live for Christ? Forgiven from your past and, and freed to walk in Christ. Not only freed, but empowered by the Spirit to live for His glory. How many of us need to hear that daily? And not only in this room, if we need to hear that we're forgiven, if we need to hear that we have the, the, the power to live in freedom that we have in Christ, 
How many of those outside our walls also need to hear it? Beloved, give people the gospel. Tell them that they can be forgiven of all their sins in Christ. If you are here today and you have not been forgiven, you feel the weight of guilt for what you have done, know today that because of this Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Embrace the message of the gospel. Well, lastly, real, real briefly, how he sums this up before he finishes and talks about this glorious promise, he has a common warning for disbelief. Paul always does this. Jesus does the same thing. After he pronounces this beautiful hope that all our sins can be forgiven in Christ, that we are free from the law to live for him, he stops and says, make sure you hear what I'm saying. Because if you do not embrace it, there will be judgment. Verse 41. Verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Quoting Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. I think this is probably one of the hardest things to do in evangelism. It's one of the hardest things to do in preaching, believe it or not, is to look at people and say, accept the gospel of Christ or face judgment. The line is kind of drawn in the sand. If we believe there is one God, and we believe there is one way to that one God, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him, we better warn people to, to come to Christ. Not in an angry, not in a mad way, but in a pleading, come to Christ. Do not go astray. Come to Christ. We should have that same passion for all people. And yet, we, we know there's people in our life that maybe we need to plead with. People who are walking astray, who we love, who are our family. And we have been indifferent to sharing the gospel. Lastly, we always see a common response. One of delight and one of rejection. One of delight and one of rejection. Verse 42. As they went out, Hear this. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Please come back and tell us more. Tell us more that our sins can be forgiven. Verse 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Beloved, when we share the gospel, we should believe that some are going to come to faith. Some are going to be crossed over from death to life. And the reason why we don't share the gospel is because we don't really believe that God's going to save people. We don't believe that God is powerful enough to, to take their hearts and make them alive in Him. But the only way they can is if God's people share the truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. People will respond. Keep on going. Last paragraph. Maybe, sorry, two more paragraphs. <clears throat> The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews saw that the crowds were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him, 
And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spread, spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing, the leading men of the city, and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust for their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Every time the gospel goes forth, you're going to see people receive the message of Christ. And their hearts are going to change, and they're going to have delights. Do you see those Gentiles? The Gentiles who were looked at as, as dogs by the Jews? God said to them, you are forgiven. You are free. You could be connected to the one true and living God. And what did they do? They rejoiced. And yet you see many others who have the gospel right in front of them choose to hold on to the law and trust in their own righteousness before God. Beloved, we must be sharers of the gospel. We must be sharers of the gospel. One of, one of the, the, the highlights of the last two, three weeks for me is when Robert Baker came in after sharing the gospel. And he was so excited that he got a chance to, to share the gospel with a friend that he's been praying for for five years. I'm looking for the opportunity to share the gospel. For five years, had the great privilege of sharing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Do you have someone that you're praying and you're laboring for the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus? We have been entrusted with the greatest message ever told. Let us be bold to share the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because I promise you, some will reject, but many will believe. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. I thank you for these people. God, I pray that you would teach and train us to be faithful evangelists in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, you indeed are a great and glorious Savior. We pray that you would uh, bring your passion, your compassion, to the hearts of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.